So I'm pretty confident that if I opened the floor up, that questions would have been coming from the floor to ask Dan, just curiosity questions. One of the fearful things I have of doing an interview like that that is so important for all of us to hear is making sure that I've asked the right questions. And not always is that the case, but, you know, in a text today that we're going to be going to in John chapter 4, this is about asking the right questions because it was a matter of life or death. And so as we've been encountering uh, Jesus through the story of the gospel, John, uh, we're going to continue that today here on this day of dedication. So if you could go to your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. If you have a tablet or a phone with a Bible app, again, just go there to uh, the book of John. And we'll be in chapter 4. And this is a particular encounter with Jesus that is very popular. Like it's, it's one of the more known moments between a human being and the Son of God, uh, the creator of the world. And this moment is known as the woman at the well, uh, where a Samaritan woman and Jesus being a Jewish man have an encounter at this well that we now have access to all these generations later. And I believe because there's something important there that we need to draw from, from it that can be a benefit to today. And so I'm just going to pray real quick and dedicate this time. Would you join me in that? So Father, I just ask in this moment that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, and may the word of God speak deeply to us and it bring new light to who Jesus is. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the moment is, Jesus has just been in Jerusalem, and, and some things are beginning to stir, and he knew his time had not yet come to do the work that is going to be done the next time he's in Jerusalem. That work being going to a cross, and, and being on trial to, before that cross, and then on, ultimately on the third day, coming out of the grave victorious. But before that must happen, much more needs to be accomplished. So he leaves Jerusalem, and he's on his way back up to the, the region of Galilee. And then this moment happens, because between Jerusalem and Galilee is the region of Samaria. And Jesus is tired from the journey. He takes a break at, next to what is known as Jacob's Well. And then the rest of the disciples go into the village nearby to get further supplies. That brings us to this moment. So let's begin by reading in verse 7, and, uh, and then we'll continue on and break this up as we go. So in verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let me stop there. So a couple things have happened that created the first question that is certainly appropriate. In the culture of that time, there were several rules about how you interact with people. One of them being that a man and a woman would not have a private conversation. That doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. That's just the policy or the social boundaries. But for a 
man who is Jew to talk to a Samaritan woman. This is doubling up on a social issue that was at play because Samaritans and Jews did not associate. In fact, there was animosity between the two. Now, Samaritans were of relation, but they were, not, they were almost considered like half-breeds, if you will. And they had their own set of rules and their own set of approaches to God. So that brings us to this moment where a Jewish man, Jesus, and a Samaritan woman have this encounter at the well. And so Jesus asked her a question, can you please give me a drink? To which she then challenges the norms. How can you ask me for a drink? You're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. Now, the key to this entire sermon today is in verse 10. And Jesus' response to that question. And the, and the statement is this. When she said, you know, how is it that you would ask me, a Samaritan woman? Jesus responds to her in verse 10 by saying, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, for that woman, she has a couple of opportunities here to drill down and ask questions. He's just mentioned that there is living water. And, and this living water is a, is a term she's probably never heard before. We, those of us that are familiar with scripture... Think of living water and have known that term maybe since we were young because we've grown up with the scriptures. But this was the first time such a concept had ever been spoken, living water. So it would be fair to ask, what is this living water? But it's also fair that when you look at what Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask for living water. So there's a highlight here that He's tipping his hand to her. You really should know and figure out who I am. So let's look and see how the woman responds to his statement. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus responded to her, says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, so he says in verse 10, if you knew who was asking you this question to give water, you would respond by saying, give me living water. She doesn't take the bait. She doesn't ask, who are you then that I would ask for living water? Instead, she goes to the secondary part of it. What is living water? Okay, fair question. What is this living water and how do I get it? And then she immediately re realizes, wait a second. Are you trying to suggest that you are greater than Jacob? Jacob being the grandson of Abraham, and considered the father of, of the many tribes because he was the one that had 12 children by which the tribes were known by. And so you have Jacob, who's also called Israel. That is, this is his well. 
He drew from it. It is his place that people would go to make a connection to their ancestors, their forefathers. So as she's asking about this living water and what it is, she immediately goes into, wait a second. Are you saying that you are greater than Jacob? Hmm. So she's indeed curious. Living water, new term. Don't know it. Let me ask more about it. Help me understand what this living water is about. But then it goes to another question to say, well, are you greater than Jacob? Can you possibly be saying that you're greater than him? That your water is better than his water. So in this, she still fails to ask the question, who are you? So Jesus says, if you knew who was asking you, you would ask me for living water. So she responds with, well, what is living water? And wait a second, are you saying you're better than Jacob? So in this moment, she is seeking information, but she's still not asking the right question that's right there before. We don't know deep in our heart if she's fearful of asking that question and really understanding who he is, but she fails to ask. She only asks about the water and his status in, related, in relationship to Jacob. Jesus' response, though, is important to highlight as well. When she says, are you greater than Jacob and what is it with this living water? Jesus doesn't address the Jacob thing. He just speaks to the water. He says, everyone again who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But the water I give, the thirst will go away. And not only that, it wells up to eternal life. So it's, he's going further with it. It's like, this is a water that will cause you to never thirst again. That's revolutionary. And then to say that it's tied to eternal life. So after this life on this earth, something beyond where we spend eternity with God. So there's something connected to this water. So that's Jesus' response to what's with this living water and are you greater than Jacob? He's saying, well, the water I give, you won't thirst ever again. And it relates to eternal life. In fact, it will give the person who drinks of me eternal life. So now, you would think, having heard that response, that's the perfect opportunity to say, who are you? Who are you that you would say that the water you give will wipe away all thirst and that if they drink of it, there's eternal life? I, I, I'm thinking, it's time. Ask, it's, it's time. He's even begged you to basically, if you know who I am, you would ask me for a living water. Now he's told you what this living water will accomplish, but she still isn't asking who he is. Look at how she responds to him when he talks about living water that won't thirst, cause thirst again, and it certainly will lead to eternal life. She doesn't take the bait. She doesn't ask who he is. Look, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty again and have to keep coming to draw water. So what she connects to is, oh, I now do not have to go out to that well, which is outside the village, traverse the, basically being around people and hearing all their, their things that they're saying about her, coming out into the open and make, coming up to this well to get water, only to have to go back and see all the looks and all the sneers. She's like, deal. I don't want to have to come back to this well, but it's out of convenience 
and out of avoidance of those who might judge her. She doesn't draw into the fact that it's about living water that leads to eternal life. She looks at it as, great, I won't thirst again. Just merely physical. I won't thirst again, so I don't have to keep doing what I've done in this moment. She still hasn't asked, who are you? Continuing forward, so she has just said, you know, if, if you can show me how this water works, then I don't have to draw water ever again. So Jesus, how does he respond to that? Well, this is where Jesus does one of his divine moments, where he plays his divine card and just kind of shows that I'm a little bit bigger than you think I am. There's a little bit more to me than you're picking up on. So how does he bait that out? He says this, he says, Go call your husband. Verse 16, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. He says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. All right, now, nowhere in the dialogue here has anything come up about her family unit or any details about her past. She also doesn't know who he is. It's clear that she's never met him before, seen him before. He is just passing through. He's not been teaching in her village yet. He's not done any miracles in her village yet. So she is a complete stranger as to who Jesus is. So in this moment, when Jesus says, go and get your husband and come back, and she responds with, well, um, I don't have a husband. And then he says, well, yeah, of course, you've actually had five of them, and the one you're with now is not even your husband. What do you think she would have felt in that moment? I think she would have felt extremely vulnerable because this man basically revealed every hidden secret that she might have had. Anything that could have protected her from him is now out there to be stepped on. Vulnerability is right there. I'm guessing that she has an issue with trust, which is why she never asked, who are you? Now, Jesus has revealed a little bit more of himself, and he's the one who is omniscient. And there's only one that is omniscient, and that is God himself. And, and so she's now got to realize that there is something very special about him. And so you would guess that in this moment, she's going to say, who are you? You just told me everything that I've ever done. So this is what she says in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Hmm. So she doesn't even ask the question that, how is it possible you could have known what you just said about me? She doesn't even go there. She just says the easiest thing she could have possibly said. When somebody reveals something that is so supernatural, it's easy to say, well, you must be a prophet. It's the safest claim she could make. But she doesn't ask who he is. So you're clearly a prophet, but who are you? No, she doesn't say that at all. In fact, she just kind of 
puts out a statement there about a personal spiritual deliberation. And I believe it's her test to see how he will respond when she says, well, our ancestors, Samaritans, say we should worship on this mountain. And they probably could point to it from where the well is in this moment. But you Jews claim we should worship down in Jerusalem on that mountain. There's no question in it. It's only kind of a statement thrown out there and seeing if it sticks. So what does Jesus do in response to that? Well, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We Jews, we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come, present tense, has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. So she doesn't ask a question. She makes a statement about worship, knowing that it's a division point. Keep in mind where she began when Jesus asked the question. She wanted to identify what separates them. Now that she's at this point where she knows that this man is powerful, he's omniscient, he is speaking very strong truth, she's intrigued, but she's fearful. So she says nothing other than to do another point of division. Where should we worship? Where should we worship? Jesus' response to these things was, it's about worshiping in spirit and truth. It's not about location. It's about who you worship and how you worship. It's in spirit, worshiping the truth of God. So how should we worship? By the carrying along of the Holy Spirit of God. And who should we worship? Truth. The word of truth. And as we've been teaching through that word of truth being Jesus Christ himself. The truth of who God is. The one true God. That is who we worship. So how did she respond? He's now said that it's not about where you worship. It's about who you worship and the fact that it's how you worship. The woman responds, and again, you're thinking, ask him. Just ask. If you're watching the movie, you're like, ask him. He's right in front of you. You can ask this question, and she doesn't. And this is what she does. It's kind of the bailout statement. 25, verse 25, she says, I know that the Messiah, who is coming, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. It's kind of like that final statement that I just, I'm mentally and emotionally exhausted. I'm just going to wait till the Messiah comes. He's right there. She still hasn't asked. And, this, and it's not like Jesus is, is hiding it from her. He says, if you know who's talking to you, you would ask him for living water. And that living water will never make you thirst again. And that living water will give you eternal life. And, by the way, I know everything about you. Is he withholding from her? No. But she's still not asking the question. The important question is, who are you? Jesus then now declares in verse 26, I the one speaking to you, I am he. 
I am he. I am that Messiah. I am, as the Greeks declare, the Christ. I am that one that you can answer your questions. I am that one that provides the living water by which you won't thirst again. I am that one by which eternity can be found if you drink of this water. I am he who can explain all that you ever need. You just need to know who I am. We need to ask the right questions to discover what life can be. Think about what happened to Peter. In the book of Luke, a moment between Peter and Jesus happens that is significant, especially in light of this text. Peter is asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, Jesus, and Peter says back to Jesus, you are the Messiah the Son of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus responds back to Peter and says, Blessed are you because this wasn't revealed to you by any other human being or just by mankind. It was revealed to you by the Spirit of God, God himself. And, he, and, he, and you should feel blessed. But it's off of that that the message of the disciples, that, that when they were released after the, the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, that they're sent into the whole world, they were sent into the whole world to do what? To say who the Messiah is and what he can accomplish in this life. So it's about knowing who Jesus is that can lead to salvation. Let's continue reading in this because this encounter makes a big difference not only in the life of this woman but in her village. Verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, and many more, because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Who do you say that he is? Do you realize the answer to that question has eternity at stake? Who you say Jesus is will make a difference as to whether you spend eternity with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, or eternity in separation in a place called hell. This is an important question. Who do you say that He is? Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that you will be saved. Paul acknowledging that it's about you knowing who he is, that Jesus is Lord, and that you give your life to him as that Lord and believe in your heart that God indeed raised him from the dead, that as a result of that, you now have eternal life with God the Father and his son Jesus. So it matters. And Jesus asks you now, who do you say that I am? Your life depends on it. I have a declaration to make. On this special day, when we dedicate a building, 
And on this special day, we remember 40 years of God's faithfulness. What I say next matters more than anything else. Jesus Christ is the Christ and is the Messiah. He has come to save the world, and this is the truth. Our changed lives and testimony bears witness to this fact, and that is why we can say we worship him today in this house. Where do we worship? Wrong question. Who do we worship? We worship the Savior of the world, Jesus. And this is his house where we will testify to the truth of who he is. This is his house where people can come and have their lives changed and worship the one true God. Amen and amen. I invite you to declare with your mouths today that Jesus is Lord and that he is the Savior of the world by which we can find eternal life. Do not miss this opportunity. This is our opportunity to declare him as the Savior of the world because we know who he is. We've not withheld that from you. We've asked the right questions. Do not let this day go past without saying he is Lord, and I believe he is the one that provides the living water by which I'll never thirst ever again because I'll know that I am in relationship with God Almighty. Amen and amen. Would you stand as we make this declaration that this house is a place for people to come and yes, worship, but worship is not held within these walls. It goes beyond. But we want to make that declaration now as we dedicate this space. Please enjoy, participate as you can as you, we sing the song, Father's House. on this journey I get lost in my mistakes what looks to me like weakness is a canvas of his grace you see the story isn't ended it's my story's just begun failure won't define me cause that's what the father does failure won't define me cause that's what the father does
didn't think you could sit for that song. I knew you didn't know the song, but I knew you couldn't sit for it. That would just be really impossible. But, you know, here's the moment that we've been waiting for. And, and I'm going to give you an opportunity. You can physically participate in this prayer. You can be seated. You can kneel. You can extend hands up. You can stay standing. It's your choice. But we want you to participate with us. This is a holy moment of being able to say, Lord, this is your house. This is your house where people can come, they can hear who you are, they can hear the truth, we can worship in spirit and truth, and walk out of here strengthened, edified, and, and sent to a world that so desperately needs Jesus. As part of this prayer, we're going to have three people pray the prayer. We're going to have our founding pastor, uh, Dan Elliott, pray first, then our co-district superintendent, Cedric uh, Brown will pray next, and then Dan Heller, one of our elders, will pray at the end. And so this is your opportunity. You can choose what posture you wish best to, for this time of prayer. Join us in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. You are here. You are filling this place. And Jesus, thank you for who you are, stepping into this world, taking on our flesh, becoming one like us. Becoming that perfect sacrifice. Jesus, you are the gracious Savior and friend. You are the almighty creator and God eternal. And Spirit, thank you that you are here. You are reminding us. You are taking us into truth and grace. You are, you are bringing back the truths that Jesus made so real to us. Oh, God, thank you. And I thank you for this place. And it's a place that's where your abundance has been poured out on these people to be able to build something like this. And Lord, we, we dedicate this to you. We give this to you. 
But Father, I know that the power, the strength, the amazing presence is found in each one of these people because you have made each one of these people who love you, who follow you, who hold on to you with all great faith. You have made them your temples. And when we as your temples join together, this place becomes amazing. Lord, thank you so much for that. And I just ask, yeah, that your presence would always be strong here. But Lord, you would never confine it here. But you would send it out into this community through each one who's here. And Lord, the true dedication is for each one of these people to know that they are loved, that they are precious in your sight, and they are your hands and feet of ministry and love in this world. So Lord, take this building of people, send it out into this community, send it out into this state, send it out into this nation, send it to this world with your kingdom's greatness and love. We commit this to you in the name of Jesus and his power. Amen. Father, we just continue to worship you and adore you. This is the Father's house. We bless your name. Father, I would like to pray just three simple things. The first is, according to what Jesus exclaimed passionately, that this house will always be called a house of prayer. But then also there will be a, a place of gathering of houses of prayer. God, your, your people will be men and women, young or old, who intercede and seek your face. Call on your name, O oh God. Who collectively come together in one place and one space. That will be a place of prayer for all nations, all people, as Jesus described. But then also, Lord, I pray as when King Solomon felt the, the erection of your temple, Lord, that your glory, your Shekinah glory will fill this space. God, that when people walk in, there will be such a thickness of your spirit that becomes so undeniable, unmistakably you. That not a man or a vocalist, or a musician, or anyone on this stage would ever be seen, but only Jesus and him alone. Let your glory fill this place. And God, I pray for your people because without the people, this would just be a shell. Because God, your people are really the church. God, they are the temple of the living God. And God, I pray that you would just anoint them and provoke them, God, to live and love the gospel of Jesus Christ and fulfill the great commission, Lord, like never before, in this Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. God, I pray that they will go into the hedges and the highways and the byways of life, or that they will model Jesus the character of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and compel people to come in that 
the house will be filled to overflowing. Let it be done, not only today, but all these three things, God, prayer and your glory and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ will permeate not only this generation, but the next generation and the next generation and the next generation until Jesus Christ comes again, even in the lives of these children, God, yet unborn. Let it be so, we pray in Jesus' matchless name. Father God, our Heavenly Father, we bring you glory and honor and praise because you are worthy of all of our praise, God. You are worthy of all of our praise. And so at this time, at this place and time of this body of believers called LEFC, Father, we want to honor your name. And Father, we come before you with hearts of gratitude, Father, that you have provided so much for us to be thankful for. As we've seen your hand work over these last 40 years in this body, and Father, to recognize the values that you instilled in some of the founders with grace and truth and how that still flows through our veins today in terms of our passions that we have for you and how we have that for our community. Father, we just pray that that would continue unending into the future. Father, we recognize that your word says in Lamentations 3 that uh, those who hope in you will be filled with goodness and find goodness, and those who seek you will find your goodness. And Father, we recognize that we have experienced your goodness. Over these last few years, you have orchestrated so many steps to get to this point. And Father, we, we bring you gratitude from our hearts, and we say thank you, Father for your provisions in our life on this journey. And Father, our hearts are filled with expectancy, expectancy for the future, for all that you will do in this place, in this community, and in our nation. Father, as thousands gathered yesterday in our nation's capital to, to pray for a return to you and to pray for our country and our nation's leaders, Father, we just pray that you would bring about revival in this nation. Father, may we, we sow the seeds that you would have us seed in our local community, and may that spread to our nation and to the entire earth. Father, may people call on your name and find the hope that they have in you for eternal life. Father, may this be a place where the hopeless find hope. Father, may it be a place where those who are broken find healing. Father, may people experience your wholeness, your redemptive wholeness that you desire. Father, you are, you, the whole Bible is a story of your redemption. And so, Father, we, we come along with you and we align with you. And we just pray that you would inspire us for all that you would have for the future. Father, may, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in this place as it is in heaven. In Jesus' precious name we pray. So no other name is going to be lifted up in here other than one, Jesus Christ. It's actually the Father God who said, I'm going to give him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's who he is. And we're going to worship him now. So you can't stay seated when we do these songs. It is like completely about God. We're going to celebrate him as the conclusion of our time. 
Church, just like this building, you were created to declare the greatness of our great God. So let's all join together as we turn our eyes towards him and celebrate his goodness.
You know, I, I don't know if you came knowing that there was a meal. We did order some extras, so if you didn't register for a meal, we have it. We're going to be serving it in the tent at the far side of the building. And there's three options, pork barbecue, turkey, and something vegetable-ish. I, I don't know because that's not what I ordered. So if some of you want that, have at it. I, I'm, I'm a carnivore. So... Um, but we would love to go out there. This is an opportunity. You know, Christians, when we come together to celebrate, it's we eat. That's what we do. We talk, we laugh, and we have also worshiped. And this has been a joy to do that together. And so our minds should be filled with joy as we celebrate a God that's had this church on a journey, had each of our lives on a journey. Some of you are still trying to figure out who is Jesus. And I hope that today is one step closer for you to discovering the living water that will not let you grow dry. That is why we are here and that's why we exist. And so for the rest of us that have tasted of that water, it's just been joyful to drink anew and to be with Jesus and his Father and to celebrate by the power of the Holy Spirit. Having said that, I release you to go and enjoy the fellowship of the saints and one another and, and celebrate the great God that we have. Amen. You are dismissed.